I don't know about you, but for the last several weeks, we have been watching a lot of Christmas movies. And when I say a lot of Christmas movies, Lila will tell you, it's Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. She can quote some of that movie that I'm like, you don't need to quote outside. But we've been watching a lot of them. And, and maybe you've been doing the same thing. But there's one in particular movie that I want to talk about this morning, just for a little bit, that we have not watched yet, but it's a classic. And, and by classic, I mean it's really old. The Miracle on 34th Street. It, if, if you've never seen this, you probably need to go watch it, but here's the deal. A little girl named Susan meets a man named Chris, who she is 100% sure is Santa Claus. And of course, no one else believes her, and Chris is eventually taken to court where he must prove that he is indeed, in fact, Santa. Well, guess what? He does it. Hey, don't yell at me for spoiling the movie. It's 76 years old. You had a chance to see it. But it's a fun, you know, happy, feel-good movie. But, but there's one scene I feel, find really, really interesting, and, and it's at the end of the movie. Early on in the movie, Susan tells Santa the one thing she wants for Christmas is what, if you've seen it? A house. She tells Chris she wants a house. And that she wants that house at Christmas so she can live in that house for the rest of her life happily ever after. But by the end of the movie, Susie and Santa, they've, they've parted ways. The adults still don't believe that Chris is actually Santa, although they're glad that he won his case in court. And, and Susie and her mom still don't have their dream house. But that all changes. On, on Christmas morning, there, there's a party for Macy employees, and, and Susan loses faith, faith in Chris when he admits he's unable to give her this house. However, after Chris offers Fred and Doris a route home to avoid traffic, Susan sees her dream house. She sees her dream house with a for sale sign out front. And, and she demands Fred to stop the car. She runs into the house exclaiming, Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus. And, and Fred learns that, that Doris had encouraged Susan to, to have faith and, and suggests that they get married and, and they purchase this house. Then he boasts that, hey, I must be a really good lawyer since I proved that, you know, this old man was Santa. However, when he and Doris spot a cane in the house that, that looks just like Chris's, he's not so, so sure. It's a little cheesy, I know, right? A lot of them are, are cheesy. But all the best Christmas movies are. All of them are. All the best Christmas movies have another thing in common, too, though. The thing they have in common, every great Christmas movie has something miraculous happen. Have you ever noticed that? Why do you think that is? You know, maybe the reason Christmas is so filled with stories of, of miraculous things that are happening, happening is that most people are desperate. They're desperate to see a miracle happen in their lives. You know, so once a year, I think most people believe it's fun to imagine what life would be like if a miracle really did happen. 
Now, don't get me wrong. You know, most people want to believe in miracles, I think, but most people simply don't. For most people, miracles are things that only happen in movies. And I, and I know it's, it's difficult to believe in something miraculous, especially when you don't have physical proof, right? Or scientific evidence that it actually happened. We hear stories of, of diseases being cured with no explanation, you know, people walking away from, from totaled vehicles without a scratch, and unexpected money arriving just at the right time. But it's difficult to believe these things can really happen. And, and maybe because we simply haven't seen evidence, or, or because we're afraid to get our hopes up. But many of us believe that, that God is no longer in the miracle business, if he ever was at all. And, and I think there's another reason we hear so many miracles stories around the holidays and the Advent season. Although most miracles attribute Christian miracles to, or Christmas miracles to Santa and his elves, right? The real Christmas story is one string, long string of God-made miracles. And, and whether you're fully on board with these miracles or they leave you with a raised eyebrow or two, these miracles that the Bible says make up the Christmas story, right? We have the first one, the virgin birth. We have the virgin birth. When the angel told Mary that she was going to have a baby, she was pretty confused. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, I'm not sure how I'd feel about that particular miracle if I were Mary. But let's just say she, she probably handled it better than I would have. But what about this one? You have the announcement, right? You have the announcement. The birth of Jesus was announced by angels, heavenly beings that, that showed up and, and they spoke to humans announcing the good news of Jesus' birth. And of course, we can't forget the star, right? A star appeared in the sky with a singular purpose of leading people to the location of baby Jesus. And then the incarnation, right? Let's not forget about the greatest miracle of all. God himself, the creator of the universe, came to earth. He became human. That's miraculous. That, that's a miracle that, that I want us to focus on this morning. Because, you see, Christmas has always been about miracles. But the real Christmas story, it's God. Who, who makes the miracles possible in, in the unbelievable reality. In the Old Testament, you, you see stories of God, you know, uh, parting seas, setting bushes on fire, uh, sending plagues of frogs, dropping food from the sky, delivering people from terrible circumstances. And then you can fast forward to the New Testament, and in the New Testament, you see Jesus miraculously healing people of diseases, multiplying food to feed the hungry, raising people from the dead, and then raising from dead himself. And all those miracles are incredible, but I still believe the most miraculous thing God has ever done is became a human. You know, when Jesus was born, God didn't just perform another fancy miracle to demonstrate his power and his might. He flipped our understanding of miracles on its head. You know, God set aside his power and his might. He, he chose to humble himself. He became the miracle. But we haven't even talked about the most unbelievable but true part of Christmas yet. 
It's unbelievable that God can do the impossible. It's unbelievable that he performs miracles. It's unbelievable that he sacrificed everything for us. And it's unbelievable that God is still in that business today of making miracles happen. But you know what's even more unbelievable? I think it's unbelievable that God is looking for ordinary, willing people like you and me to help him do the unbelievable, and to be a part of his story. God's people had been waiting for for a Savior to come and and make things right for them. For centuries, they were under control of of foreign governments and and rulers, and they had to leave the land where their ancestors lived, and and they were considered second-class citizens. And, And finally, after many years of waiting, God enacts a plan to make things right, through one of God's people, a young girl named Mary. You know, the full story of Christmas can be found twice in the Bible, once in the Gospel of Matthew, once in the Gospel of Luke. Today, we're going to be focusing, Russell has asked us to focus on the Luke version, and we're going to be looking at that here in a second. But Luke tells the story of Jesus from a different perspective than any other Gospel writers because he was not Jewish. And this is what I love about this, set, this text, because we're seeing it from a different eyes. Unlike Jesus and his disciples, Luke was a Gentile, right? And so while some of the authors of, of the New Testament wrote mostly to a Jewish audience, with that in mind, right, Luke wrote this book to everyone in mind. Luke wrote this to the Jew and the Gentile. Luke wrote this to the religious and the non-religious. And, and that's what I love about Luke and what we see in the text of Luke. You know, Luke re- risked his reputation. He risked his social status, you know, with his Gentile, non-Jewish family and friends to follow a rabbi named Jesus. And, and Luke knew God's plan for humanity included every person, no matter their background, no matter their religious background, and, and who they were and what made them to be. He wanted everyone to know that Jesus was good news to them, especially people who usually weren't pri- prioritized by the religious leaders of the time. And, and maybe that's why Luke you know, wrote down the stories of more women than any other gospel writer. Women were often overlooked in society at the time. But, but Luke seems to notice the way Jesus always elevated and, and honored women. And one of those women who whose Luke tells the story about is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And when we meet her, she's an unmarried young woman and It's just a great text, and so if it's convenient, if you will stand, we are going to read this text. Starting in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin bethrought, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. You can be seated. Can I be honest with you? I was thinking about this after I read this, and the thing that came to my mind is this. And it might happen tomorrow, and if it does, just smile and, and don't let on to it. Have you ever gotten a Christmas present that was um, not exactly what you were hoping for? You know, maybe the gift was wrapped beautifully and from someone you really love, but when you opened it up, you were like, um, what is this? And why? Well, I wonder if that's how Mary and Joseph felt about this announcement, at least at first. Of course, it's really cool, right? They, they were going to be having a baby who would grow up to save the whole world. But it probably didn't immediately sound like good news to them. The story of Jesus' birth would have been much different if Mary had looked at the angel and said, uh, no thanks, Right? We would have a very different story if Joseph had decided to go through with a quiet divorce and, and leave Mary alone in her new pregnancy. You know, Mary received amazing, terrifying, wonderful, shocking news all in one. The long-awaited news her people had been praying for was here. But this is, isn't the way she expected it to happen. The plan for the world would require a significant amount of sacrifice on her part. It would turn the world, as she knew, upside down. And you might think her response would be outrage or disappointment. But in the end, it's a miracle in itself that she said, okay. She was ready to be a part of, of God's plan for the world, even if it meant making some sacrifices. Look at her response in, in Luke chapter 1, verses 46, which is known as Mary's song. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. The holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So in Mary's song, we, we see she had hope. She had hope that, that God's love would one day win over all evil and broken things. And when she saw the promise being fulfilled, she was full of joy. 
She was full of joy that she had a role in, in God's plan finally happening in her life. Mary and Joseph, two ordinary people, they, they were given an opportunity to be a part of something extraordinary, one of the biggest miracles, and they took it. You know, the story of Christmas started with a yes, it ended with a miracle. And in case you thought the story of, of Christmas couldn't get any more incredible or miraculous, the story of Mary and Joseph can remind us that it can. You know, perhaps one of the most unbelievable Christmas news of all is that God, who can do the miraculous, not only continues to do miracles today, but he invites you and me and everybody else to do it with him and to be a part of his work. Let's be honest, God doesn't need us, but he wants to use us. And he wants us to walk with him and be a part of his life. He invites us to be a part of the story that he's continuing to write in the world today. It's a story he's, uh, of his unexpected, undeserved, unbelievable grace. And if you're willing to say yes and help him write that story, he says, come with me. Be a part of that. Some of you know this, but some of you may not have known this, but the week after Thanksgiving, I, head, I headed to Honduras, and I went to Tegucigalpa, and I, I met up with one of my biggest mentors, sorry, drafted you, Dudley, uh, this is Dudley Chancy, um, he's been a huge mentor for me, been there for Sarah, been there for me. Um, he was a professor at Oklahoma Christian University. Uh, he just resigned, but he still does a part of Winterfest and, and NCYM. And I got to go to Tegucigalpa and um, work alongside with him and uh, several OC students. And, and I tell you this story for this in particular. I, I've been thinking about this this week, and, and even this morning, I was thinking about some things that, that had happened. One of the projects, we did several projects, but one of the biggest projects that I'm thinking about this morning on Christmas Eve was for a woman named Yasika. Yasika. Yasika and her family, they, they live up in the slums, and Yasika had been praying for several years. And in her prayer was for a miracle for her and her family. Yasika had been praying for, for shelter and a home. And while on this trip, a group of college students and a few adults, we spent two days fulfilling that miracle for Yusika. We built her a house. We, we painted her house, uh, put it together. Um, and, and the great thing about it, at the very last day, we came together with her and a few of her neighbors, and they fed us lunch, and we just loved on her. And I can't help but think this Christmas Eve that she is finally in her home, the home that she had been asking for, and for this miracle to happen to celebrate Christmas tomorrow. Right? Just like how Susie wanted her home, Yusika is in her home this morning. And, and I'm guessing, when you think about this, and when we think about this miracle and these stories and about God being wanting us to be a part of his life, 
I'm guessing God isn't going to ask you to do exactly what he asked Mary and Joseph. If he does, that's going to be interesting. Come tell me about it. But think about it. He might ask you to pray for someone who's sick, right? He might ask you to show up for, for someone who's lonely, someone who, who just needs someone to be around them. Maybe he'll ask you to provide for someone who's in need, whether that's in Honduras, whether that's here locally, whether that's in your neighborhood. Be the eyes around you, and who can you see? He might ask you to talk to someone who needs to hear about the incredible story of God's grace in your life. Aren't these the things that make up what Advent really is? Not only should we be focused on what he has done for us, we should be focused on serving those around us and seeing those around us. You know, maybe that doesn't sound very miraculous to you, but I believe that when we listen to God's guidance, we will find ourselves caught up in stories that, that truly will be miraculous for someone else. So often we think of miracles as big, dramatic, impossible events. But this Advent season, don't forget, miracles can be found in the tiny little details of our lives as well, right? Just like God has done the unbelievable in the past, he wants to use you and me to do the unbelievable again. Even now, you know, God is working behind the scenes to create modern-day miracles. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to say yes when he asks you to join him? And I would love if this morning, if you would spend a few minutes just asking God to give you the eyes and the ears this week so that you can see the opportunities he's offering you so that you can do something that's miraculous and be a part of his life. As we approach Christmas and the new year, I want to challenge you to say yes to God's invitation, to join him in doing the unbelievable. But there's another thing I want you to do as well. I want you to look for Jesus. That's been the reoccurring theme throughout this series so far. Tomorrow, as you celebrate Christmas with, with your family and your friends, look for Jesus in those moments. Maybe this morning, maybe this morning, you're ready to join in making a commitment to him by professing your faith through the waters of baptism. And if that's you, we would love to hear you say yes. We would love to be, walk alongside you in that decision. Maybe this morning you need the prayers of this church. You need someone just to pray for you, to love on you. I know we would love to do that as well. So this morning as you're looking for Jesus in these moments, whatever it is you need to do to find him, please do it as we stand and as we sing.